The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. You know, the first hymn that we sang, I sang at the funeral of a dear friend of mine who died way, way too young. And there are times when you're faced with tragedy or struggle or heartache where it's hard to sing those words, why should cross and trial grieve me? But you know, it's precisely in times like that that the Christian hope makes all the difference, that changes our perspective completely. Because you see, we live in a broken world. I mean, it doesn't take much time watching the news this week about things happening in Afghanistan. It will not take much time when you get home today to watch what I'm sure is going to happen in Louisiana. We live in a world that's ravaged by sin. And so what we need is we need a perspective that allows us to see these things in the light of our Savior's promises. It's all in how you look at it. The way you see something makes all the difference, I think. Uh, if you see things one way, it can make you pretty bold. I, f- I found that out when I was a vicar. I was living in Tennessee. Jenny and I were living in Columbia, Tennessee, and we lived next to this older couple named Blanche and Wallace, and they were, they were kind of a character, Blanche and Wallace. We got lots of stories about them, but one of my favorites was we lived in this old community uh, neighborhood in Columbia, Tennessee, where uh, the neighborhood was probably 60, 80 years old, so it was filled with all these huge oak trees. Everybody's yard had two or three huge oak trees. The, the street was lined with them, just beautiful, and when autumn came, of course, you knew there was gonna be some work involved, um, but one day when autumn was approaching, Blanche rang my doorbell and uh, answered the door, and she said, there's a sale at Big Lots on tarpaulins. You need to go buy yourself one and buy me one too. So I'm like, I, I thought maybe this was a thing people did in Tennessee. So I, of course, being a nice young vicar, I just did what I was told. And I went to Big Lots and I bought a big blue tarp and bought one for Blanche and gave it to her. And the, uh, and then I waited a couple weeks later, I was Saturday morning, I was having a cup of coffee, looking out my front window and I got to see the blue tarp in action. So Blanche and Wallace were in their yard and they were raking up all sorts of leaves on this blue tarp. And then they took it and they drag it across my driveway and then would dump it onto my yard. And I, I thought, well, again, maybe this is a Tennessee thing I don't know about. I, so I watched, I took another sip of coffee, they went back and filled up another tarp and dragged it across my driveway and dumped it in the middle of my front yard. And I thought, well, I guess I'll go out and say hello, see what's going on. Went out there and, uh, well, Blanche and Wallace, they, Blanche explained to me that she said, well, we figure these leaves came from your trees. I looked up at my trees and looked up at her trees and looked up at our neighbor's trees. And I, I mean, what could you do? I thanked her for returning my leaves to me. And then I got out my blue tarp and moved them to the front, front where they'd come pick them up, right? But they had a perspective. The way they saw it, these leaves didn't belong to them. So they were just simply returning them. It, was able, it enabled them to do something bold, bold enough to like dump leaves in your neighbor's yard because of the perspective they had. I thought about Blanche and Wallace this week as I read our gospel lesson, because there's four guys in this reading that had a perspective that led them to do something even bolder than dumping leaves on your neighbor's lawn. 
It, it happened in Capernaum. Jesus kind of adopted hometown. When he came back to Capernaum, he uh, was swamped by people who wanted to hear him speak. So much so that in this account, it says he was inside of a house, and there were so many people that crammed in that you couldn't walk in the door. No one could come in, no one could come out. And that posed a problem for these four men. See, they had a friend who couldn't walk. They had heard Jesus preach, obviously. They must have seen or heard about the miracles that he was performing all over Galilee. They knew Jesus had cared enough to heal people because he was doing it. They knew he had the power to do it. The way they saw it, the way they saw it, all they needed to do was give Jesus the opportunity. But this crowd, this crowd, now well, seemed to have robbed them of it. Except the way they saw it, getting this man in front of Jesus was worth being bold. Even bolder than dumping leaves on somebody else's yard. This is what they did. They went up to the roof of this house. And the way these houses were usually... It's usually a flat roof house with stairs that go up the outside. So they went up the outside, and the, the roof would have been made with, uh, with, with beams of wood uh, over which branches were put and then mud to kind of make like a wattle roof or whatever you call that, a uh, thatcher wattle roof. And so they go up there, and they start to dig a hole. I mean, think about this. Think about cutting a hole in your neighbor's roof. That's bold. And think about what it looked like from the inside. I mean, down there, this place is packed with people. Jesus is in, like, part two of his sermon, and all of a sudden, you hear scratching noises on the roof, and, and suddenly pieces of mud start falling down, and then, and then they tear a hole through the roof. Sunlight streams in. The air is full of dust, and you see four heads up there, and suddenly, suddenly a man is lowered, and a paralyzed man lands at Jesus' feet. Man. So the crowd saw some interesting things there. I mean, they saw the boldness of these four men who were willing to, you know, cut a hole in their neighbor's roof. I mean, think about that. Modern day, this would be like taking a demo saw and cutting through the asphalt shingles, kicking through the insulation. Your neighbor might be a little bit more upset than I was with Blanche and Wallace. They saw how bold these guys were. They probably also saw maybe the guilt that they should have felt for not making room for the paralyzed man to get in the house. Um, Jesus, though, looked and saw something else. I don't know if you noticed it in the reading. Jesus said this, or the Bible said this. Jesus saw their faith. He looked at those four bold men, and what he saw was belief in action. So dust is in the air. The crowd's kind of holding his breath. Four heads poked down through the ceiling to see what would happen. Here was the great healer of Galilee, and before him was a great opportunity to heal, a man who could not walk. They were all waiting for Jesus to speak. And when he does, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. If I were one of those four guys, I might have been tempted to go, ah, It's his legs, Jesus. We brought him because of his legs, right? I mean, here's this paralyzed man lying in front of the great healer, and Jesus doesn't talk about his legs at all. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, everybody there was waiting for Jesus to heal this young man, and 
And honestly, from the perspective of the crowd and the way they saw it, this was kind of a disappointment. This is focusing in the wrong direction. <laughs> but here's the thing. They were so busy looking for the little miracle that they missed the big one. Jesus had forgiven this man all of his sins. Now think about what that means. Everything this man had ever done wrong, Jesus says, I will take that on me. Everything this man had failed to do right, Jesus said, I will do in your place. The punishment in hell that this man's sins deserved, Jesus said, I will suffer for you. And to this man, Jesus gave eternity in heaven. Eternity. That was the big miracle. And you know what? Some of the religious leaders that were there, they understood it. They got what was going on. They said, wait a second, wait a second. He just said he forgave this man his sins. Um, no, no only, only God can do that. Nope, 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 not you. Why, why does this fellow speak like that? He's blaspheming. He's claiming to be God. Jesus knew. He heard. He could read them like an open book. They recognized what his claim was. And Jesus, what did he do? <laughs> he said, why are you thinking these things? And he said, he asked them, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say to the paralytic, get up and walk? Now, which of those things is easier for you to do personally? Is it easier for you to take someone's eternal punishment and suffer hell in their place? Or is it easier for you to take a paralyzed man and make them walk again by the word of your mouth? Which of those two is easier? The point is, you can't do either one of them. Neither one is easy, not even easy. Neither one is possible for you. The only person who can do either one of those two things is God himself. And that exactly was Jesus' point. See, the point of Jesus' miracles was to prove exactly who he was. He was willing to do a little miracle to prove he had every right to do the big one. He said, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, the big miracle. I say to you, get up, take your mat, go home. I, demand, I want to imagine and try to imagine what that moment was like when this man's legs started working again. I mean, what, what was the look on his face when the synapses started firing that had never worked before. I mean, what was the look on the face of the crowd as this man who had to be carried in and dragged around suddenly stood up? What was the, what was the joy in his heart as he rolled up his mat and walk, walked home? Okay, this is the second reason why Jesus performed miracles during his ministry. One was to prove that he was who he said he was, the Son of God. But the second one was to give you and me a foretaste of what's waiting for us on the other side of heaven's door. Right, Jesus did miracles in his ministry to show what it would be like when he peels back the effects of sin the effects of what it's like for you and me to live in this broken world, surrounded by people who get sick, surrounded by places who are gonna get, you know, get hit by a hurricane, surrounded by places lost in turmoil like Afghanistan. Every one of Jesus' miracles shows him and his ability to roll back everything that sin has wronged. And here's his promise, all right? If you can't walk, one day Jesus is gonna fix it. 
If you can't hear, one day you will. If you can't live without pain today, Jesus says one day soon he'll make it better. If you can't hug your loved one who died, just wait. You will. Jesus will make it better. Jesus performed the big miracle for us. That means one day we're going to be in a place where the lame walk and the blind see and the dead live. Don't lose that perspective when you're surrounded by brokenness, brothers and sisters. I mean, too often we find ourselves looking for the little miracle and missing the big one. And I get it. When I'm sitting in that funeral of my friend or when your child is sick or your job is gone or your cancer is growing or your pain is chronic or your relationships are strained, I mean, we pray and we look and we hope and we wonder when God's going to do the little miracle. But we're tempted then to miss the big one. And the big one is what gives us the perspective to handle all the brokenness in this life. God promises that one day your cancer will be gone, your diabetes will be cured, your pain won't be an issue, and your relationships will be all better, your dead will live. We just want all those promises kept right now. Jesus promises them, but just not always in the timeline that we want. That's why he points us back to the big miracle. Your sins are forgiven. That means this life of brokenness It's not going to last. And knowing that gives us strength for the journey. I'm reminded of when I was young, not younger, youngish, whatever. It was a long time ago. Uh, I went with one of my friends to Washington, D.C. for a wedding of one of our friends, and I had had bought a kind of cheap pair of dress shoes because I needed, I think it was a black tie wedding. And so I had these kind of like plastic things on. It was the first day I wore them. I really didn't intend to go touring in my cheap plastic dress shoes. But my friend hadn't seen any of the sights in Washington, D.C., so suddenly I found myself in like the worst pair of walking shoes in the world going all across D.C. I don't know how many miles we walked. I don't know if it was three or if it was six. Let's say it was six miles that day. All I know is that after mile one is when the blisters started. By mile three, I'm pretty sure my feet were bleeding. By mile five, that's when it started raining. It was just awful. You know, you're in pain, you're cold, you're miserable. You've all been in an experience like that. Maybe, maybe you're a marathon runner and you're in a mile 21 and your body's starting to give out. Maybe you've been a manual laborer and it's one of those days where you just don't think you can finish. Thing was for me, in mile five and a half, I looked up and I saw this most beautiful thing. This was before the age of Uber. It was a yellow taxi cab. 50 yards away. That's it. 50. Now here's the thing. That last 50 yards, my blisters, you know, weren't any better. I wasn't any drier. I wasn't any warmer. But guess what? It, did, it didn't matter so much because there, I could see the end. There's only 50 yards left to go. You know, there are things in this life that are going to give you blisters and soak you through. There's going to be times in the brokenness of this world where you don't know if you have the strength to go on. The big miracle that Jesus performed for you shows you that there is an end. There's only 50 yards left to go. It's all in how you see it. That, you know, the, the hymn writer that we're talking about, uh, Paul Gerhardt, he lived in Germany in uh, the 1600s, and he's sometimes called the greatest hymn writer of the Lutheran Church, but uh, 
he had a really terrible life. Terrible life. Uh, in fact, if you go, and I, I think I've shared with you guys this before, if you go to Lieben, Germany, you can find kind of his famous uh, portrait in the church there in Lieben, and underneath it, it's got an inscription in Latin. The Latin inscription says this, it says, Theologus in Cribus Satani Versatus, which means a theologian sifted in Satan's sieve. It's a reference to when Jesus told Simon Peter, uh, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. I see, Gerhardt was, he was sifted in Satan's sieve. I mean, he lived during the time of what was called the Thirty Years' War. Three decades of armies marauding across the Germans' countryside, causing pain and destruction. He watched the Swiss army burn his home and his village and his church. During the same summer, he watched as the bubonic plague wiped out hundreds of his neighbors. Then he lost his job as pastor because he refused to compromise God's word, even on the order of the emperor. And so he had no money, no job, and then his family started dying. His first child died, then a second, then a third, then his fourth child died, and then his wife. This was a man sifted in Satan's sieve. You could understand if he were depressed and bitter and angry. But when you read this man's hymns, they're just full of this incomprehensible joy. I mean, this man who watched his home burn, his town ravaged, his wealth flee, he wrote these words. He said, no danger, thirst, or hunger, no pain or poverty, no earthly tyrant's pleasure shall ever vanquish me. Though earth should break asunder, you are my savior true. No fire or sword or thunder shall sever me from you. The man who lost his wife and four children wrote, my heart for joy is springing and can no more be sad. Tis full of joy and singing, sees only sunshine glad. The sun that cheers my spirit is Jesus Christ my king. The heaven I shall inherit makes me rejoice and sing. He knew. It's all in how you look at it. He knew that Jesus had worked the big miracle for him and for his family. And that meant he could look up and see there was just 50 yards left to go. And right now, he's in a place where Jesus has kept every one of his promises. He's with his family in a place where plague and pestilence, where sickness and sadness can never be. So when you're faced with the brokenness of this world, brothers and sisters, look up. Look up and remember Jesus has worked a big miracle in your life. Now he's just simply waiting to take you home. There's only 50 yards to go. God grant it. Amen.